going to be discussing something kind of strange today. It's called This Man. It is uh, very strange, and it is the focus of a website called Ever Dream the Man, created by Italian sociologist and marketer Andrea Natella in 2008. The website claims that the first person who reported dreaming about this man was a patient of a psychiatrist in New York City in 2006, and that four other patients at the same time had recognized the same face. The website also claimed that more than 3,000 people at the time had contacted the site to share their stories and drawings of this man. The website offered various possible explanations for the phenomenon, ranging from the mundane to the supernatural. However, none of these theories have been supported by any evidence or investigation. So we are going to try to identify the very real-world origins of this man and go into Ever Dream the Man. Buckle up for a very strange and creepy ride down the rabbit hole of dreams. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off into a fairly interesting, epic episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast, aka Hero Paranormal, broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the Benjamin Button of Broadcasting, bringing you a very strange episode tonight. Dreams, what do they mean? What do they detail? Are they harbingers of the future? Can they bring about bad things? And why are so many people, in some cases, having the same dreams? We're going to get to all of this and more, but really quick, if you have not subscribed to Hero Paranormal on Patreon, please do. For the price of a cup of coffee a month, you get the entire goodness of episodes behind the paywall, the whole enchilada. This is also available via the website at heroparanormal.com. If you are interested in purchasing any books on the Uinta Basin of Utah and the high strangeness there, please go to ryanpatrickburns.com. And if you want to help me bust through the algorithm of control on YouTube, please subscribe, like, and share episodes of the podcast on YouTube. You can find that at Hero Paranormal on YouTube. Although they will most likely never monetize me on YouTube for a variety of reasons, by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast on YouTube, you make it so at least some people get to hear the podcast and it gets a little bit of traction and reach. Okay, 
So in January 2006, in New York, the patient of a well-known psychiatrist draws the face of a man that has been repeatedly appearing in her dreams. In more than one occasion, that man has given her advice on private matters in life. The woman swears she has never met the man in her life. That portrait lies forgotten on the psychiatrist's desk for a few days until, one day, another patient recognizes that face and says, Hey, that's the man who has often visited me in my dreams. He also claims he has never seen that man in his waking life. Things are getting a little weird. The psychiatrist decides to send the portrait to some of his colleagues that have patients with recurring dreams. Within a few months, four patients recognize the man as a frequent presence in their own dreams. All the patients refer to him as is this man. From January 2006 until today, at least 8,000 people have claimed that they have seen this man in their dreams in many cities all over the world. Los Angeles, Berlin, Sao Paulo, Tehran, Beijing, Rome, Barcelona, Stockholm, Paris, New Delhi, Moscow, etc. At the moment, there is no ascertained relation or common trait among the people that have dreamed of seeing this man. Moreover, no living man has ever been recognized as resembling the man of the portrait by the people who have seen this man in their dreams. That is, until now. The aim is to figure out what is this man. And if you've had a situation such as this, please contact info at thisman.org. Recently, there was a photo of this man. And apparently, it seems as if it may be a real person, at least the imagery involved. Is it possible? Is this a window to the other side? Or is it just the possibility that someone looks like someone else who's been in a lot of people's dreams? Starting to get that, there might be more to this. There are artists who have depicted this man and people who have said that this man is not only in their dreams, but when they have episodes of sleep paralysis, they would see him standing in the corner and not doing anything. People have tried to contact their therapists, and many therapists have no clue but are familiar with the phenomenon. It's not just patients who have dreamed of this man. Some claim to have been able to control their dreams, and that in controlling their dreams, they do interact with someone who looks like this man. Many have seen him walking down dark hallways. Others have seen him posted on telephone poles. Some have gotten tattoos of the ever dream this man or this man. And it's become quite a phenomenon. Various countries as I said, are following the imagery and uh, the dreams that people are claiming to have had with this man. And many say that there's more to it, that it's a possible entity who is actually going into people's minds during the dream state and interacting with them.
Now, the imagery involved with this man has popped up in a 2017 South Korean science fiction mystery thriller. It's a film called Lucid Dream, currently available on Netflix. Interestingly, this is not the first time he had been pictured. So how is it so many are progressively seeing the same image of the same man under different scenarios? Amazingly, imagery of this man has been seen in a variety of places, including the X-Files of all places. Yeah, the man did it again. And he is seen on the drum set of a band in the opening scene of X-Files, Season 11, Episode 3. Now, the very first This Man quote-unquote thread on 4chan was very strange. Just another creepy pasta. Now, I've had struggles like everyone else to understand what it is that makes this man such a internet phenomenon. And it's not just the internet. This is something, as I said, that is being seen in the office setting of psychiatrists worldwide. So is he some sort of evil entity? Some claim that he always plays certain parts in their dreams. An evil scientist in some people's dreams who practices twisted experiments on people. And even during the day, some have vivid flashbacks of him torturing them. And it always comes up that he has some kind of malevolent spirit about him, yet has a smirkish, almost evil grin in almost all depictions. Every night, all over the world, hundreds of people see this face in their dream of this man. If this man appears in your dreams too, or if you have any information that can help identify him, please contact www.thisman.org. Now, when the majority of the people are asked or shown an image of this man, even though some may not actually dream of this particular person, they do seem to agree that they recognize the face from somewhere. Could it merely be the power of suggestion? It's very likely. This is a psychological uh, project on a number of fronts, and psychiatrists all over the world are trying to navigate the situation that revolves around this particular image. Now, according to many dream state experts, to dream of an unknown man indicates that a decision needs to be made in one's life. This also suggests that you need to learn something new. According to experts, a man can be featured in many ways during the dream state. The man could be someone you know, someone you don't, possibly a stranger. The man could be a threat or a challenge to you in some way. And the dream means that you need constant reassurance from a male in waking life, possibly. Sometimes this is not an outward manifestation or something along those lines, but rather an important barometer of the relationship between you and a male in the waking life. However, in the case of this man's symbolism, he's not a heartthrob by any means. 
In fact, he is quite creepy, and as I've mentioned, many are tortured in their dreams by this entity. So is it possible that the message of this symbolism in dreams is not to lose yourself too much in your own world, but possibly consider others to the point of appreciating that other people in this world do not have the same thoughts as yourself? It's a possibility. Experts think that this is realistic. The phenomenon occurs with this particular entity because multiple people are seeing the same thing. This is where it does not fit into the scope of regular dreams, and even dream experts are baffled by the scenario. Now, there is the possibility that this is similar to the Slender Man, which is kind of some strange creepypasta internet meme created by Something Awful forum user Eric Knudsen in 2009. He depicted a thin, unnaturally tall humanoid with featureless white head and face wearing a black suit. Now, the Slender Man has become a fictional supernatural character, which is seen everywhere. In fact, there's even a movie called The Slender Man, and... The strangest part about it is it's almost as if manifesting these creations makes them grow and they manifest and spread like wildfire. This tall humanoid with featureless white head and face wearing a black suit became not just an artist's depiction, But stories of the Slender Man commonly feature him stalking, abducting, and traumatizing people. Some believe it's true. It's particularly children. The Slender Man has become a pop culture icon. And although he is not confined to a single narrative, but appears to be many different works of fiction, mostly composed online, he seems to encompass an eerie, scary reality which we all have in the dark recesses of our mind. Now, in 2014, a moral panic occurred over the Slender Man after readers of his fiction were connected to several violent acts, particularly a near-fatal stabbing of a 12-year-old girl in Waukesha, Wisconsin. The stabbing inspired the documentary Beware of the Slender Man, which was released in 2016. A lot of qualities of this entity are seen in many different types of folklore around the world. And several scholars have argued that despite being a fictional work with an identifiable origin point, the Slender Man represents a form of digital folklore. So, no matter how you look at it, for as long as humans have been interacting with media, technology, books, folklore of any fashion, they have created monsters to haunt them. And it's therefore unsurprising that the internet gave birth to its own boogeyman in the form of the Slender Man. The documentary examines the mythology of the Slender Man and the horrific 2014 Slender Man stabbing. As mentioned before, it involved two U.S. 12-year-olds. They attempted to murder. A third girl 
They thought they had something to prove to someone they found on a ghoulish website, police say. So the two girls lured a third girl into a wooded area and stabbed her 19 times, according to authorities. Now, the suspects allegedly left the victim to crawl to her own rescue. The three girls, all 12 years old, were friends. So it makes you wonder, is there any potentially dark, malevolent power which has been attributed and manifested in these entities who ideologically are just internet memes? It sure seems so, given the fact that a 12-year-old girl was stabbed 19 times. I mean, we're, we're talking about kids here. And the first thought to kill the victim by placing duct tape over her mouth while she was sleeping and stabbing her in the neck was what came to mind. According to the criminal complaint, these two girls had been planning the attack for months. They also considered killing her in a park bathroom where there was a floor drain and that could make cleanup easier, they said. The girls ultimately decided to carry out the attack in a park while playing a game of hide-and-seek. As they left the park, the victim was walking in front of them and basically... One of them had the knife tucked in their waistband. The 12-year-old victim was stabbed in the heart, actually 12 millimeters away from a fatal cut. She was in extreme pain and could only answer yes or no questions. Authorities searched for the two other girls and finally found them walking nearby on the interstate. So how is it? that photos and images instigate a communal act of creating the Slender Man's mythology, something that later becomes the stuff of horror movies. Which brings up the case that it could be argued that, in a sense, the Slender Man is a type of tulpa, which is a Buddhist term used to describe a being brought into creation through collective thought. It differs from earlier urban legends in that despite the audience's awareness of its origins, it manages to spread. Tulpas can also manifest and manage to spread. The tulpa concept in theosophy, mysticism, and the paranormal of an object or being that is created through spiritual or mental powers is commonplace among the investigative researchers who study them. The Tibetan Book of the Great Liberation explains what tulpas are. While the mind is capable of creating a world of illusion, it can also create any desired object. This process consists of transforming a visualization into a palatable being. Similar, perhaps, to the way an architect confers life to a two-dimensional plane. The novelty to Western thought is conceiving the mind as a tool that builds eminent realities, both physical and metaphysical, and this demands a sense of responsibility. Buddhism asserts to acknowledge the tulpas are mental creations that become, as if by magic, semi-autonomous entities. Tulpas have no moral connotation. They are neither good nor bad. They can act, however, as an energetic colander that drains a person, 
British writer Jason Horsley explains this process of fathering something mental. They begin to create an intention, the directed energy of desire, which if persisted in gives rise to a thought form or tulpa made up of the accumulated energy of that intention or desire. Whether or not the person ever acts on their desire, the person is effectively creating a surrogate reality in which their fantasy can become real. It's difficult to know the extent of the tulpa's influence, the degree to which we are susceptible to other people's intent and mental conceptions, their prayers, curses, or obsessions. But being aware of this, of how our psychic energy is essentially creative, as Buddhism has reminded us for thousands of years, will certainly make us more careful with our thoughts, a notion that seems more than appropriate since, as the Buddha, at the beginning of the Dhammapada says, we are what we think. It gets a little hairy when it comes to the belief in cryptozoological creatures such as Bigfoot, Dogman, Werewolves, etc. Because tulpas are seemingly sentient. So are they a separate mental consciousness existing alongside us? Subjectively, they can be experienced as a separate being with their own agency, emotions, preferences, thoughts, and character. They truly have a life of their own, much like the homunculus or even the clay figures of the Kabbalah. Most people know these as the golem. A golem is a ritualistically created entity, much like a tulpa. When practicing Kabbalah, techniques for creating a golem go into very specific detail. So is the same true of a tulpa? Well, tulpas are often the product of intentional creation, starting with an idea of their characteristics and developed into a robust mental companion capable of meaningful interaction and communication through sustained meditative attention. They're usually created through repetitive conscious effort and sustained attention by whoever is manifesting them. This is why urban legends seem to have a life of their own. Where there is smoke, there is fire, and most urban legends are dependent upon some factoid, however small, however particular, a small piece of a puzzle that ever grows with time and additions to that puzzle by different eyewitnesses, investigators, and those who are familiar with the particular narrative. In recent years, a subculture has formed online revolving around the creation of and interaction with tulpas, various types in various places all over the world. The general consensus amongst the online subculture is there is nothing supernatural about tulpas. I wholeheartedly disagree. Could it be that we are playing a supernatural game of telephone, so to speak? Because the tulpas came along way before social media. And if people follow something, they may be following a follower who is also following a follower. And what I mean by this is this is very obvious in the case of urban legends. You hear a story, you tell it to someone else, they tell the story to someone else, and Something is created, 
an urban legend is created by this supernatural game of telephone, which may manifest into actual supernatural behaviors, supernatural entities, or tulpas, and things along the lines of the Slender Man, or the man who people witness in their dreams. I'm going to play a clip which is of Earl Nightingale about Don't Follow the Follower. Now, this was recorded long before the use of social media, yet the idea was already present. This has to do with a person just going along without checking his references. There's a story about a small town in which there was a jewelry store, and like all jewelry stores, uh, or most jewelry stores at least, he had a big clock in his window. And every morning for years, he'd noticed a working man stop, adjust his pocket watch to the same time as the clock in the window. He'd been doing this for many years, and one morning the jeweler was out in front sweeping a sidewalk, and so he asked the man, he said, tell me, why do you uh, adjust your watch to my big clock every morning? I've noticed you're doing that for years. The man said, well, I'm the foreman down at the big plant. He said, I want to make sure my watch is correct because I blow the quitting whistle every night at 5 o'clock. The jeweler looked at him rather strangely for a minute, and he said, well, that's funny. He said, I've been setting that big clock in the window by that quitting whistle all these years. A very logical thing, but they could have been off six months. It was a case of a person just going along with what he thought to be correct without checking his references. So I want to suggest that from now on out, at least we do that, that we check our references. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Check your references. What is it that you want to accomplish or what is it that you're willing to believe? We have all heard the common adages, you believe what you achieve, you are what you eat, those who you surround yourself with is the pack you become, and honestly, it makes you wonder, you know, there are different ways of managing these belief systems, and some of these belief systems can be used much like the golem, for companionship or to help one achieve certain goals. And how do you communicate with a golem or a tulpa? You know, the easiest and most common is through the mind voice. And the mind voice is basically that you are not by yourself. You can hear what the other entity is saying, and you respond by directing thoughts of your own back to your golem or your tulpa or your manifestation. And it can take anywhere from uh, a little while, a few days, to several years, to hear these entities speak back to you. Now, these were considered dangerous, at least in ancient times, and this is why the golem, the homunculus, the tulpa... Entities that you create via manifestation and alchemy are seen to be very sinister and even violent at times. And they have characteristics which are akin to poltergeists if they are not managed well. Now, a lot of you are probably thinking, all these sound super far-fetched. Well, there are tons of how-to videos, how to make a golem online, how to manifest a tulpa, or how to create a homunculus. And rabbis and Buddhist monks 
and those who are aware of these alchemical styles of magic believe that there is no need for proof when it comes to these. For example, and this is reading from How to Create a Golem, 1602, in the 32nd year of Rudolf the Emperor, by Lo Ben Bezalel. The golem's eye was wrapped in a manuscript, or a spell, detailing exactly how to create it. This is pure alchemy. And this is how the watch eye is created, much like the all-seeing eye. Go alone to that secret place beside the Vitava, where the river clay lies blue and smooth below the bank. Remove clay equal to the weight of a hen or a woodcock, but touch this not with your bare hands. It must remain unsullied. Form this mass into a watch eye using the Kabbalistic formula and quickly interjecting about the Kabbalistic formula. This is why some of the mystic formulas and the alchemical preparations of the Kabbalah are warned against. Some of the mysticism is frowned upon and the warnings are there for good reason for what can take place is wild magic. And so it goes. Back to the clay that has been prepared in making this robotic golem figure, which will do its master's bidding. Allow this to bake in an oven for over three nights and three days until the clay is hard. But beware, the slightest crack renders the eye blind. Remove the charcoal residue with a horsehair brush and set it aside. So there's the eye. This is how the body is created. Return with human servants to the secret place beside the Vitava. Cut from it clay equal to the weight of three grown full men. Take it to your workroom and cover with a white cloth. Dismiss your servants, neglecting not to cloud their memories with a charm or glaze, as listed also in the recipes. Assemble spatulas and iron clamps, and by candlelight fashion the clay into the semblance of a giant man. Do not waste time with prettifying the sculpture. The work must be done in a single night. The hands, feet, and mouth are of the first importance. Fashion fingers for grasping and toes for balance. Legs must be of equal length, or else he limps. The mouth must be deep, with a concealed pocket within. As dawn breaks, scoop a hole in the creature's forehead, and, wearing gloves, of course, embed the watch eye herein. Cover with the cloth and set aside. This is how the animating parchment is created. Go by night to a graveyard and dig up a square of blackest earth. Place in a mortar and sprinkling silver shavings upon it, use a, use a pestle to reduce the substance to a fine powder. Mingle this with the blood from your open vein to form an ink. Inscribe upon the unblemished calfskin parchment my spell of creation, taking care to make no error of spelling or design, lest the spell disintegrate. Most important, this work must be done by the magician himself or else his proxy. For with each stroke of the pen, the life force of the writer runs out onto the page. Note, 
that 12 moons are required to restore the writer's health after the creation of one golem. Note, two, that the magician must sign his name in his own blood to seal the spell. Only then, he shall attain full control over his creature. The formula to the spell of creation is concealed, syllable by syllable among many papers. Let only those who cherish my memory and honor Prague locate and use it. With all complete, assemble a crystal or a scrying glass with the usual incantations. Next, remove the cloth from the body, inserting the animating parchment into the creature's mouth, and step smartly aside. The watch eye will become active. The body will rise and await commands. Direct your thoughts through the crystal into the eye. The creature will obey as if it is your own flesh. Once active, the golem cannot be stopped against the magician's will, unless it so be that the master is killed or the parchment is taken from its mouth. If the parchment is removed, the creature's energy will diminish, but faithful to the last, it will use its remaining strength to return to its master's side. These are true words, I attest to them, and set my seal upon the paper. This is very similar to some of the texts regarding how to create a homunculus or a little man, which is also kind of a created and does what its master asks. So these are ancient texts, but very much believed in the occult and the mystic circles. So how far-fetched is it that you can make something which will be much like a robot, but more organic or biological in nature? I don't know. But I do know that it is important enough to some to keep some of these works out of the mainstream. The same way it's important for books on Jewish mysticism to be hidden, or the reason why many things are left out of the Bible, for example, and other religious texts. It doesn't matter the religion. The bottom line is, there does seem to be an intention that some of these themes cannot get out. And one of the reasons is they don't want this in the hands of many. Every book that is religious in nature is surrounded by legends and rumors, and there are many lost books. In fact, there are literally hundreds of religious books that were written at the same time period as the books of the Bible and others. Some of these books contain true accounts of things that actually occurred and alchemical processes that the mainstream religious leaders of the time did not want getting out into the populace. The Book of Enoch is a prime example, although there's many, like I said, thousands. And... And although it is, by all means, a religious text, ascribed by tradition to the patriarch Enoch, who was the great-grandfather of Noah, and very respected, not only in his time, but still, the bottom line is the Book of Enoch contains unique material on the origins of demons and Nephilim, why some angels fell from heaven, and explanation of why the Genesis flood was morally necessary. This is some pretty heavy stuff for the casual light reader. Not to mention, 
prophetic exposition. And by prophetic, I'm talking about the apocalypse. Yeah, talks about the apocalypse. These are things that are considered to be, well, important, of course, in the majority of Jewish or Christian church bodies. However, various Aramaic fragments found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, as well as Coin Creek and Latin fragments, are proof that the Book of Enoch was known by Jews and early Near Eastern Christians. So why is the book left out? It's been quoted by some 1st and 2nd century authors, as in the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. Authors of the New Testament were also familiar with some content of the story, and it is part of the biblical canon used by Ethiopian Jewish community Beta Israel, as well as the Christian Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedo Church. Other Jewish and Christian groups generally regard it as a non-canonical or non-inspired text, but they may accept it as having some historical or theologic value or interest. Keep in mind that according to Enoch, Metatron is able to behold, quote-unquote, deep secrets and wonderful mysteries. And Metatron is also responsible for transmitting the highest secrets to the princes under him, as well as to humankind. I mean, in Jewish tradition, Enoch is primarily portrayed as a primeval sage, the ultimate revealer of divine secrets. Among those secrets, magic. This is a big deal because it's the type of magic we're talking about literally creation magic, among others. And I, I would like to read you a passage of some of the quote-unquote secrets to various things which Enoch acquires during his celestial tour. Enoch writes, and I quote, I saw all the secrets of heaven, and how the kingdom is divided, and how the deeds of men are weighed in the balance. There I saw the dwelling of the chosen and the resting places of the holy. And my eyes saw there are all the sinners who deny the name of the Lord of spirits, being driven from there. And they dragged them off, and they were not able to remain because of the punishment which went out from the Lord of spirits. And there my eyes saw the secrets of the flashes of lightning and the thunder and the secrets of the winds, how they are distributed in order to blow over the earth, and the secrets of the clouds and of the dew. I find it very interesting that he calls the name the Lord of Spirits, as if all spirits come under one Lord. This is amazing stuff. So why on earth would it be left out, right? Well, the reason it's left out is because it literally talks about magic. It talks about the things, the hierarchy of spiritual leaders at pretty much any juncture in humanity's history do not want getting out to the masses. Same as now. It's very difficult to find some works due to the fact that they literally tell you how to do the magic you're looking into. This has to do with all types of cultures, all sorts of tribes, both Native American and others, 
And I've come across many books that, if they are of this nature, are not only extremely expensive, rare, and hard to find, but my goodness, they go into great detail about how to do the alchemical magic practices which create some of these entities which people claim and rumor are not true. Tulpas. Homunculus. Gollum. And, in Native American lore, of course, the creation of other entities, such as the Skinwalker, shapeshifters who can take forms of animals. Some of these books you can find. I have some of them, and they're all over the internet. I recommend getting hardcover books because you know it hasn't been tampered with digitally, nothing's been taken out, and the magic is still pristine, or at least the literary magic explaining how to do these alchemical processes, which to me is mind-boggling. The fact that it was believed, whether you laugh at it or not, that some of these things are in recipe form, explanation notwithstanding how to make these actual creations come alive. It's fascinating. I think it's fascinating, and I'm not the only one, I hope. I mean, some of these things go deep into the secrets of creation in Zoharic tradition. And in one of the books of Enoch, it involves enigmatic stones that the Lord placed in the waters during the process of creation. This is when the Lord instructed Enoch about the secrets of the account of creation. He said, and I quote, Then from the waters I hardened big stones, and the clouds of the depths I commanded to dry themselves, and I did not name what fell to the lowest places. Gathering the ocean into one place, I bound it with a yoke. I gave to the sea an eternal boundary, which will not be broken through by the waters. The solid structure I fixed and established it above the waters. I mean, this sounds super esoteric. The theme of big stones playing an important role in the creation narrative. Alchemical processes as he binds the ocean with a yoke. These are interesting. And creation is interesting always. And I think Jewish mystical traditions incorporated a lot of this into uh, their works. So whether you believe it or not, the texts are there. The history is present, and we still deal with things we create, whether used on the internet or not, which seem to be very real to those who witness them. So here we have various examples of how just the very thought process of the human brain can manifest itself in created life forms, at least life forms in the minds of those who believe in them. And more than that, we have the alchemical processes, which historically have been documented over time, which, dependent on the secretive books you're reading, explain how various organic, biological creations can be manifested by the use of magic, for lack of a better word, alchemical processes, utilizing 
things in nature to create life, life so much that it does what its master's bidding requires. And even in the case of Enoch and his descriptions of the secrets of heaven, we have processes by the Lord of Spirits, a.k.a. God, which seem very alchemical in nature. Giant magical stones and a yoke holding the waters of the ocean together, as well as a boundary around the ocean. I mean, this sounds very uh, realistic from the perspective of those who don't believe our reality is necessarily what they tell us it is. And by they, we're talking about the same people which withheld these books from the masses in the past, withhold information from the masses in the present, and will surely withhold ideas and ideologies from the masses in the future. And of course, I'm sure there are going to be those who believe they don't exist. However, they are known as the superclass, and the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace has a book that it condones known as superclass, the global power elite, and the world they are making by David Rothkopf. The superclass, the global power elite. And the way it explains them is that each one of them is one in a million. And they number 6,000 on a planet of 6 billion. They run our governments, our largest corporations, the powerhouses of international finance, the media, world religions, and from the shadows, the world's most dangerous criminal and terrorist organizations. They are the global superclass, and they are shaping the history of our time. Inside the network of business, government, military, and cultural elites who are redefining power in the global era. So there you go. They are the global superclass. They do, in fact, exist. And the reality of what they are creating is something that we can barely fathom. They want to take our power, and by that I mean they want us to feel powerless. We are to believe the narrative. The last thing the global elite want are common people believing they're special and that they can change their lives by manifesting things out of thin air, let alone the fact that they can make and create things with simple organic substances through alchemical processes. It's important that we wrap our heads around the possibility of creating things via magic and alchemical processes, tulpas, golem. It is the reality that the consciousness of a human being can actually create and manifest entities which seem very real in the case of the man who everyone sees in their dreams. So be careful what you think about. Be careful who you listen to. And whatever you do, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Uh, I... <laughs>
blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off, blast off, blast off.